Hey, what's going on again? You're listening to the podcast on the mic with Mike. I'm your host of the podcast, Mike, or instructor Mike, whatever you want to call me. (laughs) You know, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time. You know, I just got through teaching my concealed carry. Well, not my concealed carry class, but my business is concealed carry class. Um, And I just got through hosting it with one of my good buddies, Dan. He's another firearms instructor. He was teaching the class. I'm just hosting it, you know. And I just uh, also completed another or just finished a radio interview uh, with a gentleman from Texas. And, you know, his show was a a great show. And, you know, it, it just seems to be that Illinois is a gun-loving state except for Cook County. (laughs) You know, uh, a place where a lot of crime and things like that happen. And I just have, you know, just one question. Why is it that a place like Cook County, more especially Chicago, where there is a lot of violence that goes on in Cook County, and in Chicago, in a place where obviously it's the third largest uh, city in the United States, has one of the largest police departments in the United States. Why is it that, you know, we don't need to argue why there is a lot of crime, but why is it the fear of guns? You know, and I, and I get it, you know, you got a lot of gun violence that takes place. You know, most of the crime in Chicago is, you know, attributed to uh, gun violence or either the illegal narcotics industry and, you know, other kinds of, uh, you know, uh, violent crimes that can take place within Chicago and that, do, and that do, in fact, take place in Chicago. But, you know, why is it that with all these police officers, all these resources, you know, uh, that the police do have, why is it that the government uh, does not do a good enough job to protect its citizens well that's because of the lie that we have been sold and told that the government uh, is made to protect us Uh, and I remember when I was going through uh, my undergrad you know getting my undergrad in criminal justice a part of my you know uh, training or part of my you know collegiate education is has been a you know getting my bachelor's was having three concentrations criminal justice psychology and philosophy and i remember taking a course in philosophy that talked about the state of nature you know that uh there were primarily no laws that every person fended for themselves and things like that and so as we begin to progress as a society you know uh when you look at even the history of policing you know before there was uh actual policing uh there was a lot of volunteerism you know town of hue criers and things like that um, you know, and even in the South slave catchers, you know, and you get racist people. So, you know, uh, people who are against racism, you know, that often talk about, uh, slave catchers and they refer to that being the, uh, primary police force. Uh, that was not the primary police force in the entire United States, maybe in the South, definitely in the South, but there was also in other parts of the United States, your town of Hugh criers, you know, where um, in the event that there was a crime that took place, you know, someone would sound the alarm and, you know, the citizenry would band together and they would, you know, stop crime and things like that. Well, you know, in the uh, formation of government or post-formation of government, you know, when there was a lot of vigilantism 
uh, and the government saw the need to bring together official police forces whose job it was to police, you know, you looked at the deal that they had to basically make with the citizenry that you don't have to protect yourself anymore. We will protect you just allow us to do so you know we're professional we're blah 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 blah. you're tired of the corruption the this the vigilantism the that people taking matters into their own hands give it to us the government we will in essence serve and protect and, and if you fast forward to this modern day there's a lot of reliance and this is debatable depending upon your location and where you are uh there's a lot of reliance on the police to do for you what you can even still to this day do for yourself And if you look at, let's just say in the state of Illinois, where I actually am, you know, chapter 720, Illinois compiled statutes, which is Illinois law, uh, strike that, chapter 725, Illinois compiled uh, statutes, act five, which is the code of criminal procedure, uh, section 107-3, that is the statute for a private citizen's arrest. And it specifically states that a person may arrest another when he or she has reasonable grounds to believe that an offense other than an ordinance violation uh, violation is being committed. And if you notice the active tense in that statement and that it is a violation and that it is in progress, it is being committed. You know, that is the law for a citizen's arrest. And pretty much every state has that kind of law where a citizen can make an arrest and bring that person, the offender, to the authorities for processing into the criminal justice system and for subsequent uh, conviction or trial uh, in a court of law. Uh, Only thing is, is that, you know, official police forces would not have to uh, testify to the actions that led to the arrest because obviously they were not there. They would just testify to the processing and things like that and how they came to learn about the alleged offender. That having been said, uh, not not to digress too much, When you look at um, why there's such a heavy reliance on the police and such a heavy uh, hatred of guns, let's take, for instance, Chicago. Chicago has a lot of gun crime. You know, we have a a staggering amount, a staggering, high staggering, if you will, amount of homicides that occur in Chicago, most of uh, which do not get solved by the Chicago police, not because in part because Chicago police is not doing their job but in a large part to the fact that uh, they don't get a lot of citizenry uh, participation, especially because a large amount of these homicides and the facts don't lie. You can go to the website, heyjackass.com. It's exactly how it sounds. The facts don't lie. And that is a large amount of gun crime does occur in the south and west sides of Chicago, predominantly occupied or, or you know, we'll say occupied, but predominantly occupied. Uh, you know, uh, inhabited by African-Americans, myself being African-American. And so the thing is, you know, I'm I'm not looking at things from a racial perspective as though I'm a racist. I just look at things from a factual perspective. And the one thing I can tell you is a former homicide detective. You can't lie about a body in certain respects. It's dead, it's dead, it's dead. That's what it is. And so with such a high number of gun crime uh, that occurs within the city and such a heavy reliance on the police in certain uh, parts of the city and arguably a large hatred of the police in some of the places where 
or most of the places where these uh, violent crimes occur, you know, why is uh, Cook County and Chicago uh, being the seat of Cook County? Why is it that uh, that there's a heavy reliance on the police and there's a heavy hatred of guns? Well, uh, I will tell you this. That's a that's an answer that uh, can basically go unanswered unless you look at things politically. Uh, when you look at uh, gun culture, gun culture uh, today is mainly a Republican theory. You know, the, the preservation of the Second Amendment, you know, the right of the uh, people to be able to keep and bear arms, you know, to protect and defend themselves. And of course, I'm paraphrasing the Second Amendment in certain respects, leaving certain things out of it um, that, you know, people who are all for gun control typically uh, misconstrue the Second Amendment to mean militias and that it's only for the militia, the average citizen does not have the right uh, to protect themselves. That's what we hire the police for. And so you hear the theory, more guns, more crime, stuff like that. But then you have those who are uh, preservationists of the Second Amendment uh, who talk about the fact that the Second Amendment was designed to keep the government into check. You know, and if you think about uh, the founding of this country, uh, this country was founded based upon the theory that we should be or the feeling that we should be free from oppression. Now, you can argue certain things within the making of this country and the continuation of how this country came to be. We can debate that, but that's for another podcast, another topic, another time. You know, but the, the theory is that we should be free from our oppressors. And so uh, because of the argument that government was getting too big, it was oppressing the people. And so in the creation of the United States of America, we want to be free from oppressors and we want to keep the government in check. And what's a better way to keep a government in check is the is the ability to be able to take out quickly those who uh, 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 those who push government for without the people, you don't have a government. For without people to govern, there is no government because who are you governing? You know, and so what's a quick way to take out people? A gun, you know. And so I just I find it strange um, that there is such a large hatred of guns. Um, We can argue from racial perspectives that, you know, if we've oppressed a given people, uh, not even just African-Americans, but, you know, other uh, other races that have been uh, suppressed. If we have oppressed them, the, the most powerful way that we know of to be able to overthrow the oppressors is through having the ability to be able to defend themselves and even carry on offensive attacks through the use of the very same tool that we used to be able to carry on the attacks to overthrow the government to make this country. And that is through the use of a gun or guns. Okay. And so maybe it could be, that's the case why there's a heavy hatred from a democratic perspective of guns. Because if you think about it, you know, who's your average Republican? Let's talk facts here. Your average Republican is typically uh, a Caucasian person or a white person. However, the term you so choose to use, you know, uh, Caucasian or a white person 
uh, typically, you know, you could have low, middle, and even upper class uh, white people who are typically Republicans. You do have some that are Democrats, but I would argue, even without looking at statistics, that just from a novice uh, perspective, that you would have more folks who are, are white. You do have black Republicans and, and other Latino Republicans and other, you know, even Asian Republicans as well. But typically, the, the vast majority of Republicans are white. And so if you look at, you know, even the founders of this country, white, you know, if you look at even gun culture in America, gun culture in America is predominantly a, uh, a white, uh, white, you know, uh, populated culture, if you will. Um, and so, you know, as a concealed carry instructor, uh, uh, or as a firearms instructor that has taught multiple classes, both concealed carry, uh, armed security, military, law enforcement, stuff like that, I can definitely tell you that there is a great dynamic between uh, teaching those who are, you know, uh, African Americans or other minorities versus white uh, people, and and the ease and challenges and complications that come with teaching people of different races. You know, a good instructor understands his audience. Uh, and so, you know, there is a great deal and we'll talk about that in another podcast, but it, 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 I find it a little bit easier to teach those who are immersed in gun culture because they get it. It's less you have to explain. It's, it's, it's a reminder. You still need to make sure that safety is first and foremost, but you know, it's just a slight reminder, you know, to them. And then we can just move on to other tactics and, and, and things that I can teach people, uh, who get it. But, um, and I'm saying all of this in the wake of the election of Democratic uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker, uh, who uh, successfully defeated, and I'm not using successfully in the terms of where I like the fact that he was defeated, but he successfully defeated uh, Bruce Rauner, uh, the incumbent Illinois Republican governor at the time, and how a Republican governor or how a Republican got the governorship uh, in a heavily Democratic state, uh, I don't know especially given that the rest of Illinois is Republican, but it is only a blue state or a Democratic state only because of the populace, Cook County, very populated. And so, you know, the rest of the state's population doesn't even rate with Cook County or even Chicago. So that having been said, uh, in the wake of uh, J.B. Pritzker's election to the uh, Illinois governorship or the governor's mansion, I am just leery if you will, about the status of concealed carry and even just firearms ownership in the state of Illinois. You know, you have to understand that Illinois was the last state in the union, the very last state in the union to even get concealed carry. You know, we held out until we could hold out no more. Uh, And arguably in a state and post the 90s, era where crime in Chicago was way more uh, prevalent or, or way higher, if you will, than what it is now. You know, if you go to, again, hayjackass.com, they, they are a wealth of information, factual information that can always be verified, you know, uh, but in the 90s, you had a higher murder rate in the 90s than you had now. At one point in time, it peaked to a upper 900 homicide, 900 plus homicides in, in one given year in the city of Chicago. And so you would think with all this death, you know, all of, of this death, more likely than not at the hands of black folks, 
to black folks, the population uh, has not changed, or not the population, but the racial makeup of the victims and the likely offenders has not changed. You know, facts are what they are. You know, uh, and this is not to say that white folks don't get killed. This is not to say that Hispanics and other people don't get killed, but the, the stats don't prove that they get killed or they don't show that they get killed in larger numbers. And so you look at it with all of this violence, at what point in time, if we're going to rely on the police to serve and to protect us, you know, what time are we going to rely on to rely on the police? When are they going to ever do their job? Well, the well, the answer to that question is never, you know, and this is not an attack on the police. There, there are a lot of good law enforcement agencies. There are a lot of good law enforcers. And then there are some who should not be. But when you look at it, do the police have a duty to protect you? The answer is no. The answer is no. They don't have a duty to protect you. And so that's why it's incumbent upon you as a as a citizen, a law-abiding citizen, to do for yourself, to protect yourself. I want you to uh, look at the uh, court case, Warren versus District of Columbia. And it was a, a often cited case out of the D.C., the District of Columbia uh, courts, where the plaintiff in that matter uh, was suing the Washington, D.C. Metro Police Department because she was uh, a rape was occurring to her. She called the police, you know, under the we serve and protect. If I call the police, they will be there to help me out. And they did not arrive on time. And so she was subsequently uh, raped. Well, she filed suit in the courts and the courts pretty much told her, you know, in essence, we have empathy for what you've gone through. We really do. You know, we cannot imagine the atrocities that come with uh, a criminal sexual assault or, you know, the informal title of the formal title of what we informally call rape. But that having been said, it is not our duty, in essence, to protect you specifically. The government does not have an individual contract with you to protect you. If you want that kind of individual contract, you need to A, hire a bodyguard, or B, do it for yourself. Public protection, if you will, by, by law enforcement, is owed to the public at large. Police departments only have so many resources, uh, uh, so many uh, uh, tools, so many people. And so there's no way with all the varying things that can take place on a shift or in a given day, there's no way that we could intervene in every situation that you get in. We don't have a individual duty or a contract with you. We have a contract with the people that we serve. And those of us who really understand law enforcement understand that law enforcement, the, the, the police, law enforcers do not work for the people. They work for the government. They serve the people as a byproduct of that which the legislature has made into law. Take, for example, the act of battery or the crime of battery, which in Illinois is defined as the unwanted or unprovoked touching of another person or causing physical harm to a person by any means, right? And so it is because battery has been codified as a crime by Illinois law. And even though it's termed differently, it has been codified as a crime uh, by state laws, right? It is because of that codification, because of that uh, enactment 
of this action and deeming it as a criminal act, subjecting a person who commits that act to arrest, that is what allows law enforcers to be able to enforce the law. They cannot enforce that which is not law, okay? Uh, And that having been said, you know, there is no mandate that the police must protect you, okay? And so it is incumbent or it is upon you to protect the self, protect yourself, protect your interest, okay? Um, So, you know, at some point in time, you need to get your butt into a concealed carry class. You really do. You really need to get into a concealed carry class, okay? Um, It's no excuse. You know, it's your job to protect you. And think about how empowering that is if you go to a concealed carry class and actually uh, take on a class, you know, take on the responsibilities of protecting yourself. It's fun. It's great. It's, it's great to learn. And it's actually rather empowering, you know, uh, to, to learn how to defend for yourself, you know. And uh, with that, I will end this podcast by, you know, just telling you guys, you know, get into a concealed carry class. And, you know, watch your six, watch your surroundings, watch the hands, you know. Um, And so I just appreciate you guys listening. And I really hope you do uh, continue to follow me. You can follow me on uh, Facebook at Mike Brown uh, or Instructor Mike. Either way is fine. Um, You can also follow me on Instagram at Sectracon, S-E-C-T-R-A-C-O-N. That's the acronym for the business, my business, Security Training Concepts. We're on 79th and Normal in Chicago. You can also go to MikeBrownsClass.com, MikeBrownsClass.com. Okay, I hope you find this podcast interesting. uh, And I hope that you uh, join us for the next podcast. You know, uh, just obviously, you know, when I obviously, please, you know, invite more people to listen to this podcast. The next podcast that I have, I'm going to be talking about Illinois FOID card and concealed carry process. It's very important that you learn the process to apply for your concealed carry. And what are the differences between the Illinois Firearms Owners Identification Card and the concealed carry? This is information that you need to know. You need to know. You need to know this information. Okay. Um, I love what I do. I love teaching. And I really hope you enjoy me for the next episode of On the Mic with Mike. Okay. Don't forget to tell somebody you love them and don't forget to spread love. That's what we need. We need more of that. Okay. Uh, Keep your eyes open. Stay alert. Stay alive. Love you guys. See you on the next episode.